0: Bonjour, and welcome to a very special Squiggly podcast, all about the Annecy Animation Festival. I'm Steve Henderson, I'm the editor of squiggly.co.uk.
1: And bonjour from me as well, Ben Mitchell, Squiggly features writer, guy who didn't get to go to Annecy, but I'm here anyway under contractual obligation, so let's get a move on with this. So yes, as Steve says, this is a very special episode, something that I think we can do from time to time with the podcast is uh, thematic episodes, have them focus on a certain cultural event perhaps, or practitioner or whatever, and I think this first one is fitting given that Annecy just happened. Stephen, did you have a nice time over there? I had a wonderful time. It was brilliant. Did
0: it rain? It rained and then it was sunny, and then it rained and then it was sunny, and then it right. rained again. Uh And then it was sunny. But when it was sunny... So there was weather. There was lots of weather. Uh Um, All day, every day. Luckily, we was inside in the cinemas or in the pubs, so it didn't really matter. Ah,
1: so come rain or shine, everyone's geeking out together indoors and...
0: Exactly. We were either geeking out in the cinemas or getting too drunk in Captain
1: Pub. Well, I was here in England, getting drunk in the Asda liqueur aisle, so... (laughs) (laughs) Before they drag me out. So some of you animation folks out there might have heard of the Annecy Festival. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a crucial, I would say, uh, uh, festival as far as... Well, it's pretty much the animation festival. Big for industry, big marketplace, very prestigious awards. Like I say, I've never been, but you've been a few times, haven't you, Stephen?
0: Yes, yeah, um, this is my third dynasty. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would have gone years before, but when you're a student, it's pretty difficult being able to afford mm. uh, getting over to France and um, you know spending all your money on uh, crepes and beer.
1: It becomes less a legitimate use of funds, I guess, when you haven't actually entered the industry.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, but it is—it's a very worthwhile festival to go to. But um, for those who haven't. Hopefully this podcast will be able to make people feel like they have been, give them all the information that they need to know. We've got a few interviews, we've got a lowdown on the winners, mm-hmm. and a little bit
1: about the festival itself. So, you know, hopefully Great. it's going to be enjoyable. Excellent. Well, pull up a baguette and insert every other cliched French joke here, and, and we'll begin. Do you know much about the history of
0: Alice? Uh, I know a little bit about the history of Annecy. Okay. Um, It started off in 1960. The first festival I went to was its 50th anniversary, which was uh, pretty special. Mm -hmm. Uh, It used to be every two years, and now it's every single year. It takes place in the town of Annecy, France, which is quite fitting, which is a lovely town, um, a medieval town. Twinned with Cheltenham. Is it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you get knifed after three AM? I, I can't see why it's twinned with Cheltenham because it's basically it's in the mountains. It's got that big lake, right? You go out to That's it. right. Yeah. yeah. Where the boat race happens every year. There's a you can hire pedalos. Uh, usually Nancy Phelps and Joanna Quinn organise a picnic john. But are they
1: called pedalos?
0: Pedalos, yeah. Oh. Everyone's on everyone gets on the pedalos. You get to do a pedalo race? To a pedalow uh race around like a little island on the lake and it's the most savage thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Basically, everyone's already had the picnic and they might have had a few wines, um, a few <laughs> side cheeky ciders. It's terror on the high seas, basically. People yeah. are boarding each other's boats and punching. It's like it, it's unbelievable. That it sounds can. awesome. It, it is. It, it's part of the fun. All I love of fun. violence. <laughs> <laughs> the Bon where it's held, it gets decorated every year to reflect the focus of the year. This year's focus was Irish animation, so it was a lot mm-hmm. of Irish colours. And before every screening, special commissioned film, little short clip the Goblin Studios okay. is produced so every day there's a different one and they're pretty special I really enjoyed watching them before every screening and they screen one every day or they make one every day uh, yeah that would be that would be, be great, a bit of a strain it? that would be even more commendable but this is uh, <laughs> sort of really well put together for students as well the Goblins yeah. um, the, the work always amazes me mm-hmm. uh, the standard and the quality and, um, most of them 2D as well digital 2D tradigital. and then uh, as well as the actual festival in the town there's a big screen next to the lake where the award ceremony and where feature films get played, which is always entertaining. They had a premiere of the new Rapunzel short, oh, yeah. the Tangled short, up there uh, this year. But if you walk around about a half a mile or a mile across the lake, you'll end up at MIFA, which is where all the the movers and the shakers of the animation industry go. People who wish to sell. Yes. Animation software. Adobe is usually there. Uh, Disney are there. You'll notice the Disney stand because it's always crowded. And we've actually got an interview with John Cars, the creator of Paperman, which we'll talk about in a little while. Cool. There's also a video of that on the website and an article for those wanting to know a little bit more about Paperman. For you readers out there. Yeah, for those people who don't like listening. Since around about 2000, it's become more commercial. Before the turn of this last century, it was more of a sort of independent venture. So that's where you got people like Bill Plumpton making mm. his name and Joanna Quinn won one year. So you have got films like Frank Film, The Hill Farm, The Old Lady and the Pigeons, The Old Man in the Sea, When the Day Breaks, Father and Daughter, all these sort of,
1: kind classics. of classics really. Yeah, they? Classics they made their debut ones.
0: there or they Yeah, they won the one the the prestigious Annecy Crystal, um, uh-huh. which is which is created every year. Unique prize for everyone every year. Recent winners this year was Tram we'll talk a little bit about that later on sure Uh, the Fantastic Pixels a little short film about 8-bit like takes over New York I don't know if you remember that one and the lost thing, um, we usually. Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, that was lump. a big deal. It was, it was a pretty cool film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Minchin doing the music on that one. It also does winning features films as well as well as the short films that we've just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so last year, the Rabbi's Cat, which is uh, we've got an article on the Rabbi's Cat on the website. I reviewed that at the Jewish Film Festival. That was a that's a good film actually, quite mm-hmm. good. Uh, fantastic Mr Fox won in the first year I was there, and the year before uh, two films won Coraline and the much underrated and not. Uh, given enough awards, in my opinion, Mary Max.
1: Oh yeah, spectacular! How
0: how the Oscars missed out on that one uh, is a mystery.
1: Yeah, that was a, a personal favorite of mine too. And we did a there's a feature on Adam Elliot that we did last year on the Squiggly Magazine, and it just is sort of baffling how a it couldn't get distribution, and b it would get snubbed at the Oscars. Like I agree with you there. Of the films that came out that year, it was probably the most like moving. And you know, I guess because it had that sort of dark edge or that adult stuff thrown into the subject matter, those sort of, but they weren't even that risque. It was all laced with affection, and that is the beauty of anything that Adam Elliot does. Anyway, that's a rant again for another time. This is the special podcast. So
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: So we'll try to keep it special.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all in all, the whole town of Annecy gets transformed into a giant animation hub, and it's amazing.
1: Does anything happen in Annecy when it isn't the Annecy Festival? Skiing, maybe. No. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's not if anything happens in Annecy when it's not the Annecy Animation Festival, it's not worth talking about. Exactly.
1: <laughs> to hell with them. As I'm sure you're well aware, you know Squiggly has the, the written part of the magazine and that has uh, a lot of great coverage of this year's Annecy by your good self, Stephen.
2: Thank you very um
1: much. so I encourage everyone to give it a good read. It's a great uh you know overall um sort of a day-by-day day account of, of, you know, one fella's uh, uh, experience firsthand at the festival. And for those of you who couldn't make it, like me, um, you get to feel really, you know, envious and, and you know, yeah, bitter.
0: Uh, luckily, one of the squiggly writers, Pete, managed to attend, so... Uh, Did now? Yeah, yeah, where were you? Where were you? <laughs> <laughs> Pete's done some great articles as well, which are worth checking out, some great film reviews and things.
1: Yeah, 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 all right. Rubbing it in. During Annecy in your No-Ben club. <laughs> as far as the festival itself went, obviously it's a huge showcase of, you know, the the world of animation and what's new, up-and-comers, names, or, you know, established talents coming out with new projects. Shall we have a look at some of the winners? Because some of these are names of films I'm not familiar with, but maybe you could elucidate.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. There were some spectacular films this year. Annecy people sort of see it as a benchmark as a sort of this is where the film festival circuit starts you might see one or two films that you may have seen at Encounters or something like that you know mm-hmm. a, a similar animation festival perhaps Bradford or, or, or wherever your local animation festival is but honestly, is basically this is where they all start this is where people say oh I like that film and, mm-hmm. and they'll
1: play it at their
0: festival or, or yeah. something
1: they do tend to be quite fond of um, premiering short films and it's kind of there are different schools of thought of you know you want your film to get into a big festival so do you you know try and get it into as many festivals as you can to give it legitimacy and then focus on you know the the major players like Annecy or England Encounters or you know uh, Sundance or Tribeca in America you know and then or if it's a festival that kind of wants to be the one that broke the film having gotten into a bunch of festivals actually might not be in your corner. I've heard sort of equal arguments for both cases when it comes to submitting to Annecy. Mm-hmm. I guess ultimately it sort of works out in terms of timing, you know, if, uh, you know, you don't want to wait a, a, you know, 11 months just to submit your film to a festival on the off chance that it will get in. But at the same time, if it hasn't broken yet, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it, it won't get in. Like They don't seem to hold that against films, they seem to like, you know, newness. As somebody who enters
0: a lot of films in festivals, do you find a sort of a balance when you're sort of
1: picking festivals or are hoping that a film gets into a festival? I mean you know what I have definitely found about submitting films to festivals is that there is no golden rule about anything. And uh, I mean apart from trying and make a watchable film, and generally speaking, it's like the, the best films won't get into everything you know and and I think a lot of it can come down to you know the mood of the person on the selection committee on the day or you know whether something has a particularly dark sense of humor say that could appeal to a lot of selection panels and it might you know not appeal to someone on Annecy Annecy aren't infallible in the sense that, you know, they have let some films slip through their fingers and well, have yeah, gone well, to perform very well.
0: Yeah, well, we'll talk, we'll talk about that later on with, when we look at Annecy Plus and, mm-hmm. and the story behind that. But, yeah, absolutely. No. A bit of
1: foreshadowing for you, a little bit, of, a yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, on the whole, I, I, I think, and this is a, a maybe something we could go into in more depth in a, in a later podcast, but generally, as far as the festivals go, persistence. Is, is the is the rule? Yeah, and and don't take no personally because it's it's ridiculous to think that it's a personal thing. Yeah, when how inundated every every event and every festival is, and especially something like Annecy, hmm. you know. And if you don't get into Annecy, it's not the end of the world. It's a bummer, but you know, think it, there are you know many many people who haven't uh, and then gone on to you know, they make another film and maybe that will so. Hmm. So never mind about that. Let's talk about the uh, the smug so-and-sos that did get in this year. Probably too many to list, really, but we can talk about the ones
0: that maybe took home an award or the notable ones, which I really which I really enjoyed. So It's all about me. It's all my opinion.
1: Let's do that, then. <laughs> so the one that uh, it won a couple of awards, including, I guess, the main Crystal Award, mm-hmm. um, Tram. Yeah, the Grand Prix
0: winner by uh, Michaela uh, Pavlatova. I hope I've pronounced that right. Okay. Uh seven minutes worth of filth. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um not filth. Basically, um it's a it's a lady tram driver who enjoys her job too much, I would say. Uh huh. And she finds uh pulling levers and tickets being inserted and things like that. It's it's like Thanks. Sigmund Freud's like
1: right, right, right. Sure. perfect film. Yeah. Yeah, and know, I've known some tram drivers like that. Yeah? No. I've known general people like that who who sort of read anything into anything, so I could see why that would, you know, resonate perhaps with a, especially an animation audience. Yeah. Jesus Christ, the amount of repressed sexual energy in one of those.
0: <laughs> yeah, you could actually power a room, couldn't you, if you could harness it? <laughs>
1: pretty much, pretty yeah. much. this
0: is what this, all the equipment and this podcast is powered by, isn't it? <laughs> that's, <laughs> just two,
1: that's just two of us. Yeah. I haven't seen the whole f- I saw the, the trailer. And it kind of struck me as a bit of a, almost like a light-hearted version of like a Ruth Lingford film almost, like that like kind of sexual undercurrent energy. Yeah, but just, I think she did do one on like a subway. But this is more kind of like goofy, kind of um, fun animation, like fun is probably cartoony, perhaps fun is probably the key
0: word there. Yeah, I think it's a very fun, bouncy, happy sort of. Um, although it may be a little bit risque, should we say? Um, it's a
1: gal who it, drives a tram who yeah. loves to. F- <laughs>
0: Yeah, they should put that on the DVD. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect summation. Excellent. I think of the films there, it snuck up as a little bit of a surprise for the Grand Prix. I didn't really know who was going to win the Grand Prix, so far as short films mm-hmm. was uh, was going, but um, a pleasant surprise, nonetheless, rather than a, a sort of nasty surprise. I'm Do
1: they have they been known to maybe give the Grand Prize to something that that has more I don't know uh, aspirations of like classiness or abstract stuff or What's the sense of humour like in Annecy? Because I, again, I get sort of conflicting reports of like. Some people say that, they, that they're they a bit kind of artsy in general. Well, this is why I was surprised that Tram won, because mm. I thought that Annecy was a little bit rather...
0: I thought they, they may have gone for something a little bit arty and something without a sense of humour. But there were a few fantastic films this year mm. which I wouldn't have suspected Annecy would have used, let alone gave awards to. I mean, two examples are obviously The Story of Him. Right. That's a fantastic... I love that film. But that's, like, right up my... Street sense of humour yeah. film uh, about a guy who just gets drunk all day. And and that's drinks. the whole film, pretty much. It's just he drinks, has another drink, and. Basically. Yeah. 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 I like that one. When I met the director of uh, the story of him, uh, Pascal uh, Perez, mm-hmm. hopefully I pronounced that right as well, <laughs> um, I basically said that this film is, is Annecy. It's getting up and having a coffee <laughs> then having a brandy then having a coffee <laughs> then having a beer then having a coffee and, yeah. and that's the, basically what you can spend all day doing in Annecy and w- watching films uh, but the story of him is a fantastic little film just for its sort of
1: that's another winner right it won a uh,
0: yeah it won an award as well as uh, Una fortiva lagrima okay. sorry my pronunciation is terrible I'm from Barnsley what can you do well you know yeah, uh, 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 by um, <laughs> Carlo uh, Voghele. For I'm terrible. We should try and get somebody in who can, I mean, who can actually read. And We're a very tolerant podcast here, so you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bear with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so basically, um, it's the story of Fish on the Way Home from the supermarket and um, their, their journey portrayed in song. I don't want to spoil it because okay. it's, such a, it's such an amazing film to watch, such a wonderful surprise. And the best thing about this film, like the story of him, it's the perfect length. Some of the films that I saw this year had problems with length. Right. And they just carried on and carried on and carried on for short yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. And But this one's a perfect length. The joke's there, the humour's there. How long is it? It's around about three minutes long. Yeah,
1: that's a good one to go for. Yeah. The, I mean, what do you find is, is the point in a short film where you start to get a little weary? Like, when it's been repetitive or right. when it's... Doing it for the sake of doing it, you're more likely to put up with that for like three to five minutes than if it's like ten to fifteen. You know. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, the the, the best thing about Una Fortiva the is there an English translation for that? There's not, unfortunately. No. Let's just call
1: it Fish Song Cartoon.
0: Fish Song. The best thing about Fish Song Cartoon uh-huh. is although it was three minutes long, I was enjoying it that much. I thought it lasted a minute. You yeah. know, when you get that that's, feeling yeah, when something's so cool, my... and you're like, oh wow, that's only just happened. I thought it was a minute long, but it was three minutes long. Yeah.
1: It's um, kind of a nice compliment, actually, when you do something that's a little longer, you know, and someone says that they thought it was shorter because then it means that, you know, like you say, it's, the time has gone by quicker. Whereas if you did something like five minutes and someone said, oh, that was a good 10 minute film, then, you know, they're kind of suggesting that it sort of dragged a bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: I wanted more, but I'm glad that I didn't get more because I think right at the very end, I thought, that's cool, that's, that's perfect. It does what yeah.
1: it needs to do, bows out gracefully. A
0: lot of lessons to be learned from this film, I think.
1: Mm. Something that I think sums it up completely for me, and it's it's something that I think is quite well known now in the animation community, it's a dogma that Bill Plimpton kind of put in motion of a successful film in terms of marketability is, you know, a short one between three and five minutes that's funny, ideally, and, um, you know, doesn't cost too much to produce. And if you sort of generally follow those three rules, you're going to be able to sell your film. I can only really first-hand... Think of one example where that's applied, and it's true, that was the film that did well. So I think that generally, as a rule, those are the films you should make if you want to make your money back or make you know a profit. I think people who tend to win awards, those are the films that are a little longer, perhaps. Mm. There's more of a attraction, I think, to that type of filmmaker, the one who wants like the accolades and stuff. I think I'm more into the kind of get in, try and be funny, and then get the hell out of there.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, Bill Plimpton did that this year with a film called waiting for her sailor and huh. it's um 32 seconds long okay but it's the joke and it doesn't right it doesn't drag it on you're watching it thinking what's going on here and then sudden, the joke hits you like a like a pie in the face it's a very sort which of is sort of the hallmark of his best yeah work really, yeah, yeah, it's it? a, yeah it's a plimpton trademark oh, i look you know, forward to saying that finish finish when the credit's coming off you're laughing your head off basically that's the yeah. that's the plimpton way in fact if a director's in the auditorium, they invite them up on stage to take a bow.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And Bill Plimpton got up on stage, and he was up on stage longer than his film. The, <laughs> the, 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 the round of applause, and he had a, he oh, had a little great. dance and things like that. But yeah, <laughs> that was, I thought that was quite amusing, but yeah.
1: A film he cites, actually, as, as being a particular influence. It's called Bambi Meets Godzilla, or Bambi mm. vs. Godzilla. Do you know the one I mean?
0: I think it's one of the most successful short films of all time with regards to the amount it cost to make and the amount it right. brought back, yeah.
1: And that's essentially we won't give it away, it's on YouTube but it's 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 kind of a set up punchline and then done really, yeah. yeah, in a very minimal very effective way. Yes, yeah. yeah. So any other winners? Yeah, well before we went to Annecy
0: we did a profile, I say we did, uh, Sharon one of the squiggly writers did a profile on uh, Will Anderson uh, on the making of Longbird which is a, a student film so that one best graduation if you want to go onto the squiggly website and see more about the making of long word which is very funny he does YouTube videos he did turkey dubstep which is <laughs> which is hilarious and he also does a a, a, a drunken seagull called Malky, which is like Rapsy Nesbit, sort of. Okay, um, as a seagull. As a seagull, basically. Well, oh, cool. uh, more of a sort of a Ned. They call them Neds up in Glasgow, more of a, a charver ah. or delinquent, basically. Okay. But it's very funny, worth seeing. So, cool. yeah, if you go on Squiggly and uh, look at the Making of Longbird article, mm. that's another one of the winners. And Making of Longbird is, is the name of the film, isn't it? It its the, yeah. The making, making of Longbird, okay, yeah. Cool. It's basically about a director struggling with the a creation that he, he, he intends to. Uh, to revive,
1: ah, so it's kind of meta.
0: Yes, very funny. Excellent. Yeah. Also, it wouldn't be a prestigious festival; it wasn't for the National Film Board of Canada, pestering the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> pestering people, making their uh, mark. Exactly, making their making their mark with fantastic films, which they always do. Yeah, um, I do like the National Film Board stuff. And this year's uh, particularly touching film, Edmund was a donkey. Uh, there's a few there from the National Film Board, but Edmund was a donkey. I think it won something this year, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it was a. It was a. A particularly moving film about a man who is a, is a bit of a nobody. Uh, people always play tricks on him and uh, right. he finds himself complete when he's pretending to be a donkey and it's got a sort of tragic tone to it. and uh, hmm. Very nice film, worth seeing if you have the opportunity. That's uh, directed by uh, Frank Dion. One of the films that didn't win any awards or anything, but I found it quite fun to watch, quite entertaining. It was a long film, it was around about 15, mm-hmm. 16 minutes long. Uh, it was called Oh Willie. Right. And it was a stop motion film, but it was sort of like the characters were felt. Okay. uh, And it was all very well realised. It was a tragic little story about this character, Willie, who's brought up on a nudist camp. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, his mother dies and he has to return to the nudist camp to uh, say farewell, and uh, he's lost without his mother, so he returns to the woods. And uh, the most unbelievable conclusion satisfying conclusion occurs it's a very it's a lovely film Uh, it didn't win at annecy but i'm sure it'll win elsewhere because it's one of these great films when you see it you think that's a good festival film that's got to pick something up
1: i think it's coming up a lot with with these as the endings that are are kind of satisfying and unexpected particularly
0: on the longer ones i think if you've got a satisfying ending after you've invested so much in the film watching it then uh, that's your success, that's key to success, I would say, from a viewer's point of view. From yeah. From a sort of reviewer's point of view, yeah, sure. Sticking with stop motion, there was a film called Second Hand as well, I think that picked up an award,
1: mm-hmm.
0: by Isaac King. What I liked about this film was that it was stop motion, but the characters were so graphic that they managed to superimpose a 2D mouth on the character, with, and chin, and nose, and sometimes, you know, well, the eyes, actually without you realising which parts of it were a model and which parts were 2D. Oh, right. You could actually tell, you could actually tell, but...
1: Um, because you all- see, like, the fusion of, of the stop-motion and the 2D, yeah. more or less, but, you know, some of the certain shots perhaps quite uh, ingeniously fused together, you know. Exactly, yeah, and it, you, you've, you've seen it before. It fits together really well, doesn't it? It's nice to see a marriage of styles in a new way. Well, not necessarily a new way, but done in a way... That's fitting and not cliched and not too obvious. Mm -hmm. And also, pacing wise, I quite liked the way it was sort of timed out. It would go sort of quite fast and then slow and fast and slow, but not in a way that seemed like um, rambly or uh, unprofessional. You could tell it was all quite meticulously timed, you know.
0: And it reflected the story. The fast-paced life yeah. of one guy versus the slow sort of pace of the other guy. Hmm. And, it, and it was a nice mirroring of the two. It was a very, very well put together film, yeah. i say. It was worthy of the award. Another film which won an award, which may be worth talking about, was Seven Minutes in a Warsaw Ghetto. And that was seven minutes and 42 uh-huh. seconds. <laughs> a black and white film. Stop motion, but it uses the same technique as Madame Tutliplutli tootly pootley pootly. You know what I'm on about. Yeah, yeah. The one when the eyes are superimposed onto yeah, yeah. the uh, onto the fences.
1: real live action. What pixelation, live action eyes? Yep, put on top of puppet, Yeah, which is a brilliant way of adding some more,
0: adding more depth to some stop motion. Now the stop motion in in Madame, pootly 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 Is it Yeah. right? The stop motion in Madame tootly pootly.
1: We'll there stop the stop motion in that
0: film was <laughs> <laughs> stop motion in that film was was great. It was uh-huh. pretty superb. I'm not saying that the stop motion in Seven Minutes in a Warsaw Ghetto was bad, mm-hmm. but it wasn't up to the same standard. But what I'm saying is that the eyes gave an awful lot more soul hmm. to the the animation. And it's, you know, it's good character animation. Uh, uh,
1: Did you think maybe it was relying a bit too much on that then, as a... I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was relying on it. I would say that, um... Because I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I have two mindsets about Madame Tootly-Pootly. I think that the first half of it is great because it's such a... A, at the time, it was the first time they'd done that. B, the setup was really clever, really kind of intriguing and surreal. And, okay, where are they going with this? And then it it just kind of seemed to, um, if you'll pardon the pun, derail a bit toward the end. It's on the train. That's what the pun is. Um, (laughs) Thank you. you. It's for clarification. It is definitely a film worth seeing, and I think it's a very important film, and I think it's, it's one of the NFB's better films of the last, you know, 10 years. But maybe went on that little bit too long. I felt it kind of lost me. I felt that it went a little over my head. Perhaps is why I couldn't engage with it past, you know, the sort of two-thirds mark. Mm. And it seemed to rely a bit on symbolism and stuff that maybe, you know, if you understand it, it is very effective and very, um, and very relatable. I just personally, it didn't click with me. But I loved it from a visual standpoint, and the music was wonderful and everything. You get roped in very quickly because, wow, what a beautiful idea to have these real eyes. Because you just can't replicate life. And eyeballs, you no. know, in in puppets uh, and CG. That's the big complaint about this hyper-real CG is the eyes Umbled look down. Valley effects, yeah. really. Yeah, that's what you get. So you have this. In a way, it's 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 almost alarming because it's puppets with real eyes. But instead of being disquieting, it's almost sort of comforting.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like
1: you're sort of looking at something that has a kind of warmth to it or a real soul to it. Yeah. Now you could see why that would be an easy thing to fall back on perhaps, mm-hmm. rest on a little bit. Uh, I haven't seen this Warsaw film. I've only seen the trailer which didn't really give anything away but it's, it was just like a, a shot of, of a kid with the eyes basically. I, th- I, think,
0: I think without without the eyes in this film I don't think it would have got so far. I don't think it would have got so far as to Annecy. However, the film doesn't really rely on the eyes because the mood that the film creates mm-hmm. uh, with or without the eyes uh, is a very dark, very disturbing very deep uh, you do feel like you're in the Nazi-occupied Warsaw ghetto, mm-hmm. and uh, for that, the film uh, has achieved quite a lot by, him, right. by placing you in that scenario, which is which is always good if a film can 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 get you to believe that the horrors of it all.
1: That's one of those areas of subject matter that you gotta. If you do it right, you're guaranteed to have a good film at the end of the day. Yes, know? because it's still kind of in the. Um, even though you know a lot of us went around at the time, it's still kind of part of the social consciousness. You uh-huh. know, Nazi occupation and that kind—it's of, still kind of fresh history. Yes. You know. So yeah, I'm interested to see it. I will—I will reserve judgment until then. Kind of surprised that it's—it's it's taken this long for another film to use that device because it's been about f- five years now, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I would have thought it would have been unique to that film.
1: Yeah, i am i am am sort of surprised. Like, but at the same time, if someone was going to do it, I'm surprised that someone didn't do it sooner. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> So you've got to talk to some people. We have some interviews are coming. First up, there's Mr. John Cars. Now, uh, who that? Who
0: that? For those who keep a close eye on Squiggly's work, Squiggly's output, you may recognise the name because we interviewed him last year on my first ever Squiggly assignment mm-hmm. uh, at the Annecy Festival last and that, year. And that interview was his big break that was my big break I don't know about his big break he'd previously worked for Pixar so he'd
1: done some stuff before he'd done
0: one or two things before yeah (laughs) he'd previously worked for Pixar and then before moving over to Disney Uh, so well versed in um, in animation and particularly um, CGI animation Mm -hmm. his work last year really concentrated on um, the supervising work they did on Tangled a a pretty good interview I think and right at the very end I said uh, what are you all working on at the moment and and John revealed that he was working on a film, but he wasn't allowed to say much else about it. So they always pull that one. They do, yeah. But this film ended up being the buzz of this year's festival. The film was Mm Paperman, which um, Disney have promised as a link between CGI and 2D filmed. And viewed in 3D. It's a fantastic mesh of the two mediums. It takes the best of 2D, the best of 3D, and puts them together in a beautiful Disney story, which um, is entertaining. uh, And for for something that's only less than 10 minutes long, it's incredibly fulfilling and entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm. And when it's released with Wreck-It Ralph in November this year, I'm sure people will enjoy it.
1: Yeah, well like you say it's it's definitely the talk of the town they do seem to be being quite um uh they're kind of teasing us a bit which i guess is sort of you know part of the process uh they're not revealing too much about what uh exactly to expect you know there's just a little bit out there in terms of you know interviews and artwork concepts and stuff like that mm. but is there much like final footage out there or has it is it just for the people who've like sort of analyze i've seen the film i don't really care if about anyone else now right. i've seen it you know that's that's me but well, consider us underprivileged all oh, right okay fair enough um,
0: well i can say that from the um the making of videos which disney have released like um they're called paper clips. Mm-hmm. Uh, And it's John basically talking about the look and the the ideas and things that go behind making the short film. I can tell you that all the artwork released won't really prepare you for what you're about to see. see. Um, But I will say that if you did see a still of the film, you would be convinced that it was a a 2D film. Right. There'd be no sort of... So once it's in motion, you see how it comes together? Well, once it's in motion, you can see that it's a CGI film. However, you know when you see somebody trying to make a 2D look, like put cell shade on it? Yeah. It's not like that at all. Okay. Not in the slightest. John says in the interview, some sort of vector software was created in order for the animators to go over the CGI work and um, create these big, long strokes of the pen Uh to make it look like classic Disney. So do
1: they trace it, kind of like a Pierce Sisters thing, or is it like automatic
0: um, well the system was in place so the lines would follow okay. the CGI character but that's getting a little bit too technical the, the look of the film is, is pretty flawless really right, can, right. You, you, when I, sometimes when I watch a, a, a 3D short trying to be 2D I can look at it and, I can, and it stands out a, a mile off it didn't bother me at all Mm-hmm. So that to me is success. That yeah. is, if, so if they manage to get somebody as, as pedantic as me sold with this idea of the two D three D I mix together. Yeah, somebody who people may remember from podcast three, somebody who sits and watches Chuck Jones cartoons or, or Chuck Jones Wannabes with the rule book in his mm-hmm. in his lap, then they've obviously done a fantastic job. And he has. It. It's a great film. And uh, I really, I really want a sort of. Say more about it, and but I can't really without ruining it. It's a, I tell you, it's a love story, but it's a sort of will they, won't they sort of fates
1: to do with paper,
0: to do with paper airplanes. It's it's beautifully put together. Okay, we were incredibly privileged to talk to both John Cars, the director, and the uh, producer Christina Reed, who had some fantastic things to say about the film.
1: Well, why are we talking about it then? Now let's hand it over to the real people.
0: So we're here talking um, paper plans today at squiggly.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us. How about tell us introducing yourselves and tell us your role on the project?
3: I'm John Cars. I'm the director of Paperman. I am an animator. I've been animating for many years and this is my first short film.
2: Christina Reed, I'm the producer. I've been involved with computer graphics for 20 years now, and um, this project really appealed to me because it was an opportunity to do, create a totally different book from anything I've ever touched before.
0: Where did the idea come from, John?
3: Uh, the idea really comes from when I was living in New York City years and years ago, um, commuting to work. Being surrounded by all these people in this big city but somehow feeling alone at the same time and sometimes you just make these random connections with strangers like you make eye contact briefly and then they're gone forever and i started thinking about what what if this guy and a girl made this connection and they were like perfect for each other, but then they lost that connection, and what would happen if this guy was really fighting to get back this girl, and and what would happen if the fates intervened, and to kind of bring these two people back together, and what drew, what drew you to the project?
2: I actually, I've spent so many years in CG and I'm really intrigued by how can it look different, how can I bring something different visually to the project. I came to it mostly because I was attracted to that, but over time got very engaged in the story John was telling. And there's a moment where Meg looks back from the train as she's pulling away from George, and I remember John saying to the animator, she needs to have a look. Like we could have been a very formidable couple. Mm. And I thought, wow, just the notion of destiny, and we're pulling destiny to its very limit. Can we? Can we? Can we get these two back together again? The project opened up a whole different story for me. Yeah. So, anyway.
0: so Pigman's uh, key um, selling point, I would say, is it's. Um, its technique and its in its uh, unique look. Could you tell us a little bit about the
3: look, um, about the blend of two D and three D, perhaps? Well the look of Paperman is is truly a hybrid in, in the true definition of the word. It's it's the best of both worlds, I feel, of two D and three D. So you have that stability and the dimensionality of computer graphics. And then you have that expressive line and, and that beautiful design and appeal, that human mark of of, of hand-drawn animation. And, and Really, really, the challenge was just fitting them together in a way that really felt like they were in harmony.
0: Yeah. But what did you take away from each medium, and what did you leave behind? I mean, what were the what were the best things about 2D that you left in the film? The best thing about 3D, and what, what did you do to the project?
2: Well,
3: I mean, for the th- for 3D, I'm pretty seasoned. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew what to expect and what I was going to get out of it. And um, I mean, really, the learning curve for me was more about just emerging as a director and how you have to be as a director. But for for the two D side, I think. The way that they had to handle the line was was very different than the way the animators had drawn their work before, and it was a very calligraphic line. It was they couldn't just chip away at it; they had to draw these long, fluid strokes, and that was something that was a struggle for them at first. But I think what I was amazed by was just how you know the first week you're like, I don't know if this is going to work out, guys, and then the next week. They got a little bit better, and then by the third week, the people that you thought weren't going to work out are suddenly the fastest people on the show and they're doing the best work. And I think just watching them watching them train themselves and, and rise to the occasion, that's, that was the most amazing thing to see that from, you know, on the 2D side.
0: I mean, um, it's very, I suppose, you could call it retro. It's got a retro look and retro feel, 40s, 50s. I you. Gotcha. Um, yeah. <laughs> the character design um, somewhat reminds me of um, a classic sort of 60s um, Disney, perhaps. Uh, George's face looks a little bit like um, Roger, slightly, in the film. bit roger you're right. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I like Roger. Everybody likes Roger. He's an amazing Milt call design. Um, there's a lot to learn there, if you start deciphering like what it is that he's doing, and you know, he has such good taste. Um, ultimately the character design in its final form was done by this guy, Shiyoon Kim, who's just a brilliant character designer, and he's really the guy that brought the that calligraphic line into the design. But. Um, Glenn Keane was a huge influence and a huge help in getting Meg figured out and the, just the proportions and, and I think what we what we learned on Rapunzel, getting that character with such big eyes and how do those big eyes like fit in that skull and, that are like the size of baseballs, um, we learned a lot on that about how to keep that appealing and how to have that all work together and, and Meg has similar proportions with those big eyes. and. Um, But, I mean, design-wise, I wanted them to feel like they could be right for each other. Like, he had to be kind of humble and like a real guy, but not too handsome and not too ugly. And then she had to be, like, really cute, but not so beautiful that she would seem like out of his league, you know? When they meet at the beginning, um, they, they should already feel like they are a match, you know?
2: When you you do a short at Disney, you're running in between the big feature productions and John and I would take this sort of on the road at Disney and show people what we were doing and present it in various forums and what was amazing is people would just gravitate to our project. So Glenn Keane wanted to come and do some tests and she and right. Kim, who's a very in-demand character designer for our features, would come and help us. And over time it just picked up this momentum where everybody was sort of wanting to know what was happening and yeah. how can I help and what can I do and do you, want, do you want me to fix that rig or would you like me to take a shot? Or yeah. and it so it just like
3: the hot project in the building it 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 for a while drew a became lot of became a, yeah. it became
2: the little to engine that could yeah it's yeah. exciting yes.
3: it and the talent sponge
0: everyone yeah, yeah. yeah a little bit yeah a little bit. Uh, Were Disney worried about the style at all was, was there any sort of uh, we are slightly apprehensive Cause it's quite a departure from what we're used to um shot in shorts these days
2: You know, there were were several months where we were exploring what we were going to do and playing with the pipeline and trying different approaches, and we hadn't shown John Lasseter. And it got to the point where it was time to show him our first shot, and it's that close-up of Meg looking through the flowers of the plane. And I think there was a moment of, we all love this, and it's taken us a long time to find it. Yeah. And God, we hope he loves it, too. And it was just so exciting he stepped, he watched it loop over and over again with that catwalk, and he sort of said, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. watch a whole film like this. Right. And we knew we had done it. That's right.
3: That was a big breakthrough. Exciting moment. <laughs> yeah you tell us a little bit more about some of the other guys
0: that worked on the film perhaps um, a few of the key players besides playing with what I already mentioned
3: I'd say there were four people that were that really made the project same yeah I mean Patrick Osborne is an animator he worked with me on Tangled and super talented but he has a he has a way of approaching computer graphics that is really like light on his feet where he doesn't he doesn't overdo it and he does things that are really fast and loose, and almost like have a raw edge quality to it. And his techniques were really handy in in, in just building the look and, the, and, the, and building the worlds because we did the, almost nothing. Like we didn't model very much of anything. It's just like scene flats with texture maps thrown on and stuff. It's very minimal. It doesn't look minimal, but it, it, there's hardly anything there. Um, and then. Jeff Turley, who's young art director. He was a trainee just a few years ago. Um, a, an incredibly bold eye. Like there are these. Like shafts of light and shadow that he just took that idea and ran with it and made these images and compositions that are so powerful and the rhythm of the cutting um, like when it's all horizontals and verticals and when it's diagonals and when it's high contrast and when it's low contrast all these great decisions that our director would make he's right there making them even at this young you know early part of his career and he's he's
2: tremendously talented Just interrupt for a second about Jared. We were trying to do something that's very very much the antithesis of what CG lighters tend to do. What they want to do is bring shape and volume to something. And we knew that if we had done that, that the CG wouldn't meld with the flat lines. So we actually took the CG and attempted to flatten it. And literally, lighters, it took them a while to understand the aesthetic. And Jeff would be there every day painting on their frames and demonstrating how he wanted them to flatten the look and get the stronger contrast lines and remove shadows and just be much more. strategic about where they would place lights, so he is really the brainchild behind the light of this film. The other, two?
3: the other two are Hyunmin and Sarah. Uh, Sarah Harris and Hyunmin Lee. They were the two hand-drawn lead leadership people for each of the respective characters. So Hyunmin worked on Meg, the girl, and Sarah worked on George. And they each just ran with their characters and I mean the young women at Disney are the 2D and CG are the best women in animation, I think, in the world, anywhere. There, there's so much talent there, and there's just a different kind of understanding that they bring to it, and I'm really excited to have worked with both of them. The music is... Sorry, I was going to say, what about the old women? <laughs> Sorry. Women of all ages bring a unique insight.
2: It's go That is indispensable.
0: Very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the, um, the music. Uh, it's still
3: sort of bouncing around in my head. That plays a key role yeah. as well. I mean, um... everyone is saying that Christoph Beck is going to be so proud when I start to, when I start explaining this to him. But yeah. yeah, the music is by Christoph Beck, and he's done like all the Hangover movies. He did Under the Tuscan Sun. He started oh, by Buffy doing Vampires. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That, that's how he got his start. He's, he's one of these composers that like maybe he's not quite a household name, but when you start looking, you're like, oh, he did that. He did that. He and And the sound editor at Disney was using his music from other films as temp tracks for our reels Mm -hmm. and I was just thinking this is good, this guy's really good this is a good fit and... Or it's just a point where we're like, let's call him up. I mean, he's right over in Santa Monica. Let's, he's right here. So he came by. He's super excited because, you know, we're animating to his music, literally. Like, he's driving the animation with his music. And um, I just, I, I knew I, the music was a really important emotional part of the storytelling for me. It had to be right. And, and. I think for the early tracks, he struggled a little bit to find the right tone um, but for that last track, uh, he just came out of left field with that and it's, it's an anachronism, like it doesn't fit the time period. I think that's great because it feels so fresh but the emotional drive that it has I think just I I listen to it in my car and um, people have been asking me for the mp3 files and stuff but because everyone is saying how much they love it and um, and when he first gave it to me I was like this is so good I'm listening to it all the time in my car and he's like yeah I don't usually listen to my stuff, but I listen to this one. It's particular, you know. He like made an exception because he likes this one so much. So I think we just got so lucky with that track at the end. Hmm.
0: It may be a big seller for people who have a dreary job and catch the subway to work. <laughs> anyway, mate, there aren't the any people like that.
3: No. <laughs> what if they're listening to the music and then they turn and they see each other? Exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> you make people fall in love, John. Well done. It bro. could happen. <laughs> was the look was it was it supposed to look like a photocopy was it supposed to uh, resemble the, that sort of um, style
3: I think it was just about seeing these illustrative looks that the art people were doing like Jeff Hurley was doing and these we, we see these amazing pre-production paintings all over the studio for all these different projects and they're so they have such a great tooth and, and texture and they're exciting, and, and sometimes I feel like that excitement kind of fades away by the time you get to the final CG image. And I I felt like, and Jeff felt this way too, um, can't we push to keep that energy in the, in the artwork all the way up to the final frame in the image? So we started making mock-ups of what final frames would look like that really looked very illustrated with that kind of raw edge quality and a little bit of grain in there. And in the end, it was just about Finding that balance of like, is it too much grain or is it too little? Is it is the edge broken up too much? Does it does the line boil or is it stable? I mean, all these little decisions that you know, the devil is in the details, kind of thing. And I think the details make the design. The details are not details. The details make the design. That's a Charles Eames quote that I think is just so so right because it is about the details. If you don't get the details right, then the whole the whole battle is lost. Last year at Annecy, when we met, I finished the
0: interview that's by asking you. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> when I, I by asking the inevitable question of what you're working on at the moment. And it was oh. the toughest question because you couldn't talk about paper Man.
3: Yeah. Well, this is easier to answer now. Cause what I'm working on at the moment is I'm animating on Ralph. I mean I'm 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 here. This is what I'm doing right now. I'm yeah. showing this short here and that's super exciting. But I'm I'm animating on Wreck-It Ralph, and after that, there's seems to be interest to to see what more we can do with this technique. And it's not not to say that we're working on a feature film with it, and we're we're not right yet. I mean, maybe we'll get to that point, but. I think the feeling from John Lasseter and Ed Catmull is like, okay, that's cool. What else can we do with this? Like, let's push it a little further. So that's what I'm going to be. I'm hoping to do that next, like in the fall, to kind of roll up my sleeves and get, get
0: get into it again. As a as a producer, would you say that this is the kind of thing that, that excites Disney and it's something that we could see oh. develop?
2: Absolutely, I yeah. mean just the notion that we can build on our legacy, our 2D animators, our 3D animators can come together and form a look that hasn't been seen before, I think mm-hmm. this is opening up a whole new frontier of possibility at Disney, and, and just adding fuel to the fire of the conversation, which is so exciting. Yeah,
3: and very cool. The fact that this show even happened, the fact that this short film even got done and it, that it exists and it looks the way it does, I think is, it it works as kind of a symbol of where the studio has, how it has shifted over the last five years or so, and the environment that, the change in the environment that has happened since John and Ed have come down and really created a place that the artist feels safe to like take more risks and explore and and push for new ideas and, and like for instance, found that there's this drawing tool that's being made, that was being made in the building and it's called Meander by this guy Brian Whited. And when I found that I'm like, oh, I discovered this drawing tool and this is going to be perfect for Paperman. Well, the truth is that Ed Catmull five years ago said we need to put more research and development into 2D drawing tools because we need to revitalize that. So it's like kind of, I just came along at the right time of, of like part of this larger plan to kind of reinvigorate the whole medium. Um, so yeah, honestly, there's really cool stuff happening at the studio right now. He's always there, is ready for the next he's like, software that's needed. He's like no. the quiet storm. Like he he he's doing a lot, but he does it by I think enabling and delegating. Hmm. Um, to, and getting the right components in the right places at the right time, and then like seeing what happens. And I think Paperman is one of those things that happens. What's on the list to be, to be produced?
2: Well, can't talk about it yet, but um, what's next for me
0: is the 2014 film. The 2014 film. the As of yet, unnamed 2014.
2: Unnamed yet. Coming soon.
0: Right. I'll, I'll, I'll finish the interrogation there. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you both very much for talking to Squidney today.
1: That was John Cars and Christina Reed who worked on the upcoming Disney short Paperman. You'll see that when it comes out in cinemas with, is it Wreck It Ralph?
0: Yep, yep, Wreck It Ralph. Wreck-It. We also saw some Wreck It Ralph stuff at Annecy this year because, uh-huh. as well as the films, they also do like making of and uh, work in progress things. I must admit, I'm pretty sold on the Wreck It Ralph stuff. It looks great.
1: Is that kind of in a tangled vein or is it? More of a two D thing, or what, how are they doing that it's, one? It's
0: it's again it's CGI, but it's based on like this sort of Donkey Kong game character. Okay, um, they live in the eight bit world, and it's ba- it's set in an arc- it's set in an arcade, but they can transfer between video games using the electronic wires and like the okay. the extension lead where all these arcade machines get plugged into is like Grand Central Station. So effectively. The Wreck-it Ralph game can go to another game, say Pac-Man uh-huh. or something like that. And there's a very funny Pac-Man moment in there, which you may have seen from the trailer, which is on, um, it's on Squiggly. Right. They've really taken the subject matter and they've been, they've remained true to it, but they're having the same amount of fun with mm. it as you'd expect from a video game.
1: It sounds kind of Pixarish in terms of the story idea of taking. You know, an existing concept and giving it that spin of, of having them interact, like with cars or with Toy Story, but now it's like video game characters that kind of have this... Is it that they have a kind of life outside of their role as video games, or is it... Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah, he's, he's basically... he's, he's That the rest him. of the world doesn't have access to. Yeah, kind of yeah, he's, like had, he's, had, he's had 30 years of,
0: of being wreck it Ralph and he, he doesn't want to be the bad guy anymore Right, he wants to be the good guy and this is the sort of the, his journey really so I don't think I'd agree with you it's not very Pixar-y when I watched the trailer right. and when I saw the clips and stuff it was very fun but it didn't sort of it didn't reek of Pixar it didn't it doesn't look like oh look here's Disney trying to you know ride Pixar's train
1: well I'm a complete 8-bit video game geek so I'm sure I'll enjoy that so before we move on were there any other standout films, not necessarily ones that, you know, won anything, but uh, ones that had an effect on you?
0: Yeah, well, like we said earlier on, the short ones, One Minute Puberty, uh right mm-hmm. in the middle of the films in competition one. That entertained, we'll put it that way. Okay. It's just basically a, a guy goes through puberty in one minute, and it's right. um very, very funny uh, film there. Also, there's a film called The Centrifuge Brain Project, which was a live-action film but the visuals were animated and the visuals were hilarious. Basically, okay. about uh, fairgrounds, this, this mad, this almost like a mad professor for fairgrounds, mm-hmm. who decides that the teacup ride isn't scary enough, so we're going to do a three-level teacup ride. Right. Or the, uh, the swings aren't scary enough, so we're going to do them, like, ten times faster. Okay. It's, and it's hilarious. You just keep laughing at the concept. You know, you think you've, you think you've seen the concept, with the mm-hmm. first one and then they keep it's adding the pills, the aren't yeah, yeah yeah. there was not much animation in it but the animation worked really well Daffy's Rhapsody uh, Warner Brothers very commercial thing we'll talk about that in a little while we've got Matt uh, O'Callaghan um, Pez uh, P-E-S. P-E-S yeah Fresh Guacamole you may uh, well, yeah, yeah. have one seen that it's it's. I mean every every ounce of that film every joke people sort of laughed yeah. you know? so when the pincushion is, is sliced into dice or diced yeah. You know, the onion is diced, you know, it's it's very fun, and the plaster scene. And
1: he knows his stuff, that guy. He does. So Do you remember,
0: uh, was it Western Spaghetti? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That
0: was great. Oh, I loved that one. That was fantastic. Pythagosaurus. Everyone's seen Pythagosaurus. No, oh, yeah, that's the yeah. right? That's the Aardman yeah.
1: film, yeah, Peter Peek. I like that one because it's, it's one of those Ardman films. I guess, actually, a lot of the short films are much more willing to kind of have it not look like, you know, Ardman immediately. I think that's something that only just starting to do with the feature films is gravitate away from that signature style. Yes, Um, yeah. Which, you know, people sort of debate whether or not there is a signature style. There is. Yeah. But the short films, really even going back to like the Channel 4 days, they've always had much more variety and I think this is great that they continue to do that with the contemporary films and that they make the films at all Still, with you know the different nature of, of funding as it is now, and and you know that they they still have that spirit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Peter Peake's got a bit of a style of funny duos. Do you Remember yeah. Pip and Pop? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pib and Pop, and the, the couple in in Humdrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's he's good at that as well. Barry Purvis, friend of the podcast. Uh, uh-huh. he, he showed Tchaikovsky there. How to eat your apple? People may have seen that. That's by uh, Eric O. Very Dali sort of um, ah Dali esque. Uh, imagining of of an apple as it slowly rots and becomes weirder and weirder and weirder it's fantastic (laughs) they were put together in a very weird short films in competition and uh, right in the middle Tchaikovsky and How to Eat Your Apple sort of livened it up a little bit that's good and being Bradford Dillman that was a very interesting use of cut out animation but in a 3D environment Mm -hmm. that's quite visually uh, rewarding to watch
1: well those films are apparently very very long in the making from what I've heard yeah What, 10
0: years or something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, worked on the film for over 10 years.
1: I assume not from start to finish. I imagine that's like a development uh, issue rather than a...
0: Oh, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know how Channel 4 used to make fantastic films and now they don't make films? But the sort of Channel 4 flavour is very much still alive. The Mm humour is still alive Mm -hmm. in films like Bradford Dillman and Man in a Cat. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, that sort of, you know, the the brand of humour I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, as long as as the director and the writer, you know, has that spirit. Spirit, yeah. yeah. Spirit's a better word.
0: By Glow by uh, Patrick uh, Bouchard. Um, it's, a, basically it's, a, it's a decomposing ox that comes back to life out of the ground. It's I like that. It's a wonderful stop-motion uh, film. Well worth seeing. That's uh, that's Very entertaining. Very sort of... You watch it unfold. Hmm. It's, it's as dark as a Brothers Quay film. I'm br- intrigued.
1: I, yeah. I like films about decomposing animals that come back to life. Well, then you're in for a treat. (laughs) That's one for the the handful of people out there who actually know me in real life.
0: (laughs) Uh, Junkyard, that was a a well-put-together film as well. Very entertaining story. Very treacherous story, really. uh, About the horrors of drug abuse and things, and um, the full horrors of drug use is put forward, as opposed to a preacher, don't do drugs, you know, that sort of thing. yeah. There's some, some fantastic films, uh, but that's the best thing about a festival. You may see some of these at another festival, you may not, and that's the that's the beauty of why you should attend as many film festivals as you can.
1: Someone else you got to interview, Matt O'Callaghan.
0: Yes. And what's he been up to? Well, Matt O'Callaghan's a guy who's been responsible for the last few years of the, the Looney Tunes cinematic legacy so uh, the CGI new shorts yeah the new CGI shorts not the television series which we may all these are
1: the ones that play more by the rules by
0: the the rules (laughs) let's read the rule books out he he directed Coyote Falls
3: Mm mm-hmm
0: which was very close to Mr. Chuck Jones's... Uh, he managed to capture the essence of the characters, managed to stick a new slant on it, mm-hmm. you know, managed to um, revitalise them. Like I said in the last podcast, he made him a little bit Brockheimer, so obviously yeah. he got to play in the cinemas, have not they, for a modern cinema audience. Uh, and he put his own twist on them, which will probably be appreciated in later years as opposed to uh, right away. Right. But he also did last year's I Tore I Tore Puddy Tap, the um,
1: Sylvester and Tweety film. Uh-huh. Because uh, the title kind of left that a bit open-ended as yeah, to who may was going to be dealing with. Yeah, you may have with. thought it was a Pepe Le Pew <laughs> film. Yeah.
0: It was, uh, yeah, so he directed that as well, mm-hmm. and he directed this year's Daffy's Rhapsody. One of the best things about these films is that they're using Mel Blanc's original voices... Oh wow! Taken from um, old recordings, which uh, Matt will go into in the interview. He'll tell us all about where the where the recordings originated from, and that's why they're basically songs. So, to our Puri Tat" is actually uh-huh. a song that was originally sung by Mel Blanc, but obviously it's animated now. So it's like oh. this time capsule of of old Mel Blanc recordings that have been dusted off. And the latest one is Daffy's Rhapsody, which very entertaining.
1: What were these originally recorded for? Ah, we'll find out in the
0: interview. But okay. it, yeah, <laughs> well, that <laughs> shut me up. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were originally recorded for kids LPs, basically. That, right. They right. put it on, and I'm glad they've been animated. I'm sure they were entertaining for a kid in the 50s or 60s listening. Yeah. Yeah. What else has Matt done? Matt, he directed uh, Curious George. Do you remember that from a few years ago? The, yeah. The feature film. Uh, nice to see a two uh, a D feature in the cinemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, very soft film right. with Jack Johnson doing, doing the music, music and, yeah. and and Will Ferrell playing the uh, playing, playing the, Will Ferrell playing Will Ferrell. As as he does in every American movie. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice, uh, charming film, which mm-hmm. is uh, yeah not offensive or anything. Not as madcap really as the Looney Tunes characters he started off working for disney so he's worked on basil of baker street or the great mouse detective as it became and he also worked on little mermaid and stuff He's also created his own stuff uh, you can see the itsy bitsy spider on youtube which we watched earlier on what do you, what do you make of that it's a good film wasn't it
1: very of its time yeah it was an early 90s and it's interesting like you'd be able i think to pinpoint the year within a two or three year sort of margin just from the design style and the animation style. Hard to explain exactly why, but if you have a sort of memory of of what was going on in t v animation and film animation, the what then would have been considered a, a contemporary um cat and mouse chase except it's a you know exterminator and spider chase yeah. kind of thing
0: exterminator played by Jim Carrey in nineteen ninety two way back never happened, happened to that guy yeah <laughs> yeah, but played by Jim Carrey It's interesting talking to Matt find out a little bit about um the process involved mm-hmm. in in bringing these classic characters to life because as if you listened to the last podcast, me and you had a very long discussion. About,
1: um, well, it was kind of a recurring theme in the, whole, in the whole podcast, talking to Nancy Beeman about you know her sort of take on animating characters that had already been established, and talking to you know, Billy West on you know, doing voices of characters mm-hmm. that had already been established. And, uh, and Billy West was in Daffy's Rhapsody. He was, right? yeah. He
0: played uh, Elmer Fudd. Yes. So there
1: you go. Everything ties together. Mm. We, we, we plan it meticulously. Uh,
0: so let's have a listen to uh, Matt O'Callaghan.
4: My story's not that um, original. There are a lot of guys like me who uh, I was a young guy who liked to draw cartoons and uh, was led to Cal Arts in, in California and um, started learning about uh, filmmaking and animation and that school was affiliated, or still is, with uh, Walt Disney Studios and um, they offered me a job and uh, I started to work as a, a young, eager animator and uh, Kind of just you know went in through their little program. They had a little introductory program to kind of get the guys going and Then that led into um, working in on some of the films and I think one of my first jobs was um, Mickey's Christmas Carol where I worked as a Glenn Keane's assistant, so I got to work under the master himself and um, learned quite a lot from him and that kind of just started my career, and and then I worked on *The Little Mermaid* and *A uh, Great Mouse Detective* and my *Friend Roger Rabbit*. So I was there for several years.
0: Brilliant. Oh, uh, what sequences did you work on? Did you have any particular favorites during that that decade?
4: It was great when I worked uh, on uh, *Great Mouse Detective* because I got to work I got to work with Glenn on the villain Again, So that was a lot of fun. Uh, working with uh, Vincent Price's great. Uh, vocal. Uh, performances, it was amazing. So that was very exciting. Uh, then I got sort of in this niche where I was doing the uh, the action stuff. So I had storyboarded all the climax and the on the clock sequence at Big Ben, and, and that was a lot of fun. And then I started, when I finished that, we went into The Little Mermaid. And uh, I think one of the first things I storyboarded was the action sequence where the shark is chasing Ariel. Then I boarded for, quite a while on that show all over the place and then I was given the animation to, to uh, work on for the shark sequence so I wanted something different because I had storyboarded it and animated it so I said please give me something different and then they somebody else had boarded the uh, chef sequence so I sort of took that and reworked that a little bit so that was very exciting and then they gave me some of the Prince Eric character to animate too which was uh, very different kinds of animation uh, in one movie, so I was very lucky where I, I, I had a variety of things to do on the show, so it was very exciting.
0: Quite a variety of different things. I mean, the, the yeah. princes are, are usually quite refined characters, whereas the chef chasing... Uh, yeah. Sebastian around stuffing him with, uh, yes. with uh, and yeah. slamming the meat cleaver down. Things it's quite a uh, quite an exciting yeah. thing to the do. Prince is
4: very refined and tight, and you know his little little nuances of acting and stuff like that. What a chef is, I have his eyes bugging out and his cleaver six times the size and smashing. And you know he would shove, uh, uh, he'd be stuffing the the bread into the thing, and his whole arm would go in. <sighs> and, and so it was very broad and very exciting, and uh, that, that, that was a very key moment in my career because I, I realized how much fun animation can be and how you can manipulate drawings and frames and have fun with extreme timing. And um, as you know, if you flash forward to my what I'm doing now, you can see how that directly applies to um, the path I've taken to get to where I'm at now. I
0: suppose as a sort of follow-up question to that, do you have a favorite style of animation uh, with the fast-paced action stuff, the more refined stuff, or do you enjoy it all?
4: The fast-paced stuff obviously is more fun, um, but I think I get, you know, I like the, doing the variety. I think the acting is just as much fun as the broad uh, animation, um, and it's they're both equally as challenging. and. Uh, they're very rewarding. I mean, I, I, I love when you get a great acting scene, and, but I also love uh, very comedic, violent, you know, uh, uh, scenes as well.
0: Moving on a little way down the line, you directed *Curious George*. How was that? That was quite a, dif- a different film. Nice, nice sort of family, uh, cozy film. I would, I would. Yeah, um, yeah.
4: Um, *Curious George* was terrific because, uh, you know, when you're you're assigned with. Um, uh, properties that exist in the world and you have Curious George book. Now Curious George, when you think about it their are books either you first readers are reading like young children or they're, they're um, like parents or grandparents reading to young children and so I think it's very important as a filmmaker to understand your audience and um, you know, you could say, "Well, I'm going to take Curious George and make it Shrek." Well, it doesn't quite work like that. You you have to respect the property, and um, and then try to do the best you can to make that entertaining and and exciting. But I think overall, with Curious George, he's a gentle, curious kind of kid in a little uh, monkey body, and and I think that sort of um, energy and that sort of uh, charm has to come through in the movie. And so that was, like you said, it's a very sweet, fun movie, but I think it respects the property and it's hand-drawn, which is like the books are very, you know, illustrator-friendly and they're very simple and beautiful and the colors are very strong.
0: So uh, you've had various roles uh, in productions over the years, producer, writer, director. Uh, did these do sort of lead to them, or did you have a sort of a want to be a writer, want to be a producer, a control and
3: things? Maybe.
4: I think, like anybody in film, uh, you know, we we love the medium. So I think we love all aspects of film. And I think when you're a, a student, you're you're discovering those things. You're writing your shorts. You're uh, storyboarding your shorts. You're directing the vocal performances. You're you're doing all those things, and um, and then you just hope to have the opportunity in in, uh, in a professional environment to be able to apply those skills and maybe further develop them. And so I think what happened was as an as an animator, well as a storyboard artist, you're really kind of directing, even though you don't realize you're directing. You may be directing a small sequence, but you are using you know moving the camera. You are um, Going from wide shots to close shots, you are uh, manipulating the audience in a way, and I think those those are great exercises. And I think when I got my first short to direct, when I actually got something to literally like actually direct, it was a, a very it was a short called the Itsy Bitsy Spider, and it was about a sweet spider and an exterminator and those spiders trying to protect the little girl who's being abused by her uh, piano instructor, and so she comes down to to help the little girl and, the, and the, uh, the woman, the piano instructor, retaliates and calls the exterminator. And now you got the little spider against the exterminator. And we had Jim Carrey as the voice of exterminator. So it was really fun. And um, that was great because I got to do everything in a very small package. And uh, then I went into television and I spun that off into a television series and um, now you're using now you're you're stepping back a little bit and you're you're um working with other people doing some of those roles um then i did the life of louis tv show which i don't think was in the uk but it had uh, Louie anderson who's a um, american comedian and um then i got involved in writing the pilot and overseeing the writing and being a showrunner. and so now you're using a lot of other kinds of skills. And it's also very exciting. Now I'm not animating because the animation is being sent overseas. So now I have to switch gears and and be the you know, work on the writing and the stories and the characters. And so now you're kind of developing another part of your brain a little bit. And then those experiences right there in television sort of helped me as a director on Curious George and because your choice a Christmas and uh, open season two because um, it gives you a little bit of confidence about that part of the business. And um, television is very important because television is very fast. And so you have to make a lot of fast decisions and you have to trust your instincts. And um, hopefully your instincts are gonna be good. <laughs> We're here at Annecy in
0: 2012. Um, with Daphne's Rhapsody. Yes. Which is a, um, well it's, it's, the Looney Tunes character's back basically. It's the latest in the shorts that you've been directing. Yes. Uh, last year I, I taught, I taught Puddy Cap. Uh It got to the final 10 for the Oscars which was yes. quite exciting. Yes, film. It was I, I quite a commercial film um, in respect to some of the others that were, that were there that applied to that.
4: Yeah um I've had a little bit of uh, fun with the Warner Brothers characters. They first brought me in a couple of years ago to, um, and they handed me. Uh, they said we need to make uh, Coyote Roadrunner shorts, and that was very cool. And I actually went in for the interview for that. It was it was sort of interesting because uh, I feel like a lot of people when they say, you know, we're going to make new Coyote Roadrunner shorts, and we want them to be CG instead of two D, and we want them to be stereoscopic. And then I sit there with this look on my face, like pretty much anybody would. And they go, well, that's not the reaction we're looking for. And I said, well, let me ask you one question. I said, do you want to do them like the old shorts, or do you want them to be like politically correct, which is a little softer, a little... they go, no, no, we want them to be like the old shorts. And I go, all right, oh, yeah. now that sounds exciting to me. And um, so I, I got the job, and I think a lot of it had to do with my little Itsy Bitsy Spider short, because it was in that, same flavor of, uh, of um, violence. But uh, that was very exciting, because now I have these characters that I grew up on, Chuck Jones, and these guys are heroes to us, and now I'm being handed this thing, and it's a new medium, you know? It's, I mean, it's with the CGI, and now they have to have dimension and, and texture and all these things that they didn't have then. So my, my big goal for these these shorts was I don't care if I have all these new tools. It has to feel like the old shorts. It has to have that same timing and, and the same sense of fun and, and violence. And and so that was what I was after. It wasn't about making a you know, Matt Callahan movie. It was really about taking um, that property and again, respecting it and trying to do a brand new version of that where people like us go, yes, that's... The same feeling I had when I was a kid. It's a new package, but it's the same feeling. And that was what I tried to uh, go with. And, and I think we were fairly successful. And one of those shorts was shortlisted as well. We had a lot of success with those and people, I think a lot of people were genuine in saying that, you know what, I was a little skeptical about when I heard you guys were doing these things. And hey, it was a lot of fun. I, I thought you guys did a good job. so. That was really fun because I, I think the the die-hard animation people are going to be <laughs> the toughest on you. And then that led to the the new shorts, which I can yeah. further keep going. Excellent. I... Yeah.
0: Well, sure. Yeah. The uh, the new Looney Tunes shorts, cinematic shorts, they are um, different to the uh, Looney Tunes TV uh, style. They yes. Seem, they seem to be a lot more. Should um, I say loyal? Is that safe? A lot loyal to the to the brand. I mean, did you? You obviously researched your. You've read Chuck You've read. You've researched them quite well.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, in defense of the TV show, uh, you know, you have different guidelines for television, so they they can't do the the violent slapstick that I can do in the theater, and and they have like half-hour formats, and I have four-minute formats, and so it's completely different. So. And they're trying to stylize it a little bit so they don't look like they're just old cartoons that they're showing again. So they have slightly a a different um, objective than I I do. When I, uh, again, after doing the Coyote Roadrunner and and, um, proving that I didn't want to stylize the characters, that I just simply wanted to take the characters that we all know and love and basically uh, give them dimension and textures, Enough just to sort of be able to put on a, a big screen. Like when you when you take a, a, the characters and you blow them up real big and you're, they're in CGI and stereoscopic, they have to have detail to them so they hold up. Otherwise, they're going to look flat and it's going to look kind of cheap. So that's why we've given them the, the little feathers and and the fur on Sylvester and and the glints in the eyes and. And we've given them iris iris colors and stuff which the original ones did not have. And so we're just trying to, basically when you look at them, you go, yeah, of course it's Sylvester. Of course that's Tweety Pie. They do look a little bit different, but they're just, they, they work for the the screen. And um, we're very happy with it. In regard to just the sensibility, uh, yes, absolutely. My, my model is just watching a ton of those old shorts and getting, that feel again and, and making sure that again I'm not doing something that breaks what they established that again I'm just sort of honoring, honoring it and respecting it all that said I don't want to just rip them off and do what they did back then mm-hmm. I have to do something new and then I have to put myself into these cartoons and my storytelling, my sense of timing my uh, um, staging um, so because I have to direct it so I have to have a little personal touch to it. Uh,
0: one of the, uh, the main things about these new shots is the Mel Blanc uh, yes. starring um, in these in these shots which is fantastic to to have such a gift really from from the past. Um, yes. I, you know singing, singing as well singing at all at all, singing Daffy's Rhapsody I mean, did you sort of, what, what material were you given? Were you given these off the old, old radio shows or something? Or?
4: These songs were like recorded in the early 50s and they were on like, um, you know, children's LPs and uh, they, they consisted of little songs and little radio plays, like, you know, because you can't see anything. so you know, there's an announcer, and and Bugs Bunny is going over to the window, and he's opening up the window, and you hear Bugs Bunny goes, there's a carrot, I'm gonna go get that carrot. So it's like those kind of stories. And then there are a couple of these little songs, and the songs were only intended to be on the album, so nobody had animated them. So now, flash forward 60 years, and uh, my boss, Sam Register, having uh, done the three coyote shorts, he walked in with these this little CD with so many songs on it, and he says, we, we've been wanting to do these for years, but we just haven't had a chance to really focus on it, or we haven't had a clear idea of what they could be, and uh, I'll take a listen to them and see if maybe you can come up with something. Now, I listened to them, and they were very exciting because the idea was, let's use Mel Blank's recording. And and do a modern and use our modern technology and classic Mel Blanc. So I didn't have a a voice impersonator, you know, I didn't have a new guy doing uh, you know, his version of Mel Blanc. I had Mel Blanc. And it how exciting is that to be able to use Mel Blanc? And so um, now I had to come up with the ideas for it. And the the first one was uh, I thought I saw a putty tat, and that was um, Sylvester and Tweedy singing and it's really kind of a sweet little duet when you listen to it they're just singing you know Sylvester sings uh Tweedy sings Sylvester sings Tweedy sings and at the very end they sing in unison so I listen to it and I go yeah this is great this is Mel Blanc it's a very sweet little song I don't it's not going to play cinematically because it doesn't have the same flavor as the shorts mm-hmm. so what am I going to do well, I started playing with this idea of injecting the violence in between the lyrics, because when you have a song now, you can't just open up the song and play out a lot of visuals, because you're going to ruin the, the, the song. So what I did was, you know, the, the, the tune is... So what I did is started to inject these violent... Staying. Bang! And then I started pitching it like that, and everybody started laughing. And then they went, Great, let's do that. And they left the room, and I went, How am I going to do this? <laughs> because you can come up with these great gags, and if they don't fit, throw them out. You have to come up with a new gag. And then you have to create a uh, you know, linear story. And that's why I put uh, granny in because they mentioned granny in one part of the lyrics. So I put her in, like she's sleeping and they're doing the, the, you know, cat chases bird through the apartment. And, um, that seemed to play out really well. And then with Daffy, Daffy's Rhapsody, that was a little bit more interesting. And I came at that with a more, more of a uh, economic angle because in the song, the song is about Daffy singing the blues about why are the hunters always coming after me? Why don't they go after all these other animals? And he names them, you know, very fast. And so when I was thinking of that, I'm like going, well, if you do this literally, you can't build elephants, tigers, you know, you can't build all these characters in CG and have them on the on the screen for twenty frames, you know? Because you it would be astronomical. So I said, well, what if it was a stage production and he's on stage and these animals are you know, props? Because now they're just wooden things that are painted. And that became more economical. And because it's so uh, big and you know, operatic, it seemed to make sense that it was on a stage. But now I just couldn't have him just by himself singing so how am I going to get that Looney Tunes sensibility of it? So then we introduced Elmer. and Elmer is coming into the theater. He doesn't know Daffy Duck's performing. And when he sees Daffy Duck performing, you know, his 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 hunter instincts go, and he takes off his tuxedo hat, pulls out a shotgun, and now he's going after Daffy. And uh, what's fun about that is, now that I have another challenge, and I'm, I'm kind of working myself into a corner because, now Daffy has to continue singing but he he has to to realize he's being hunted and so the showman that he is he's not going to stop singing in front of his audience but now he's got to deal with Elmer so now you have that Looney Tunes classic chase thing and uh, it's it was a lot of fun and hopefully when everybody gets a chance to see it they'll uh, enjoy it.
0: Do you think the characters will continue? Uh, I know you're not with Warner Bros. at the moment, but if it did continue, you know, uh, are there plenty more? um, Mail-plank recordings, maybe books, uh, Foghorn, Leghorn, all these characters that are are available?
4: Yeah, well it would be great and I I know they're going to continue, hopefully I'll be involved, you never know, but um, these characters are just too great, they're too iconic, they haven't gone away, you know, Um, they're sort of peaks and valleys There are dry moments where we don't see them and then somebody gets the idea and and, and the the Warner Brothers agrees to it and then they come back and you know several years ago you had the back in action movies and uh, um, you know so Space Jam I mean every once in a while they're going to show up and I think Warner Brothers uh, values these characters and they're obviously um, uh, still making merchandise so I don't think they're going to go away. Uh, the shorts have been fantastic and um, I hope I hope we do more of them, um, but these characters aren't going to go away. Even if I go away, they're not going to go away.
0: <laughs> well, what are you working on yourself at the moment? What's your
4: goals? Well, I just started to work with Illumination um, and I've only been there a few weeks. So I don't really have something yet I'm I'm working in their development uh, department and so hopefully uh, I can get back into some long form things. Love the shorts, love them, love them, love them. Um, but I also have done long form as well. And and just like I love the storyboard, I like the animate, I like the direct, I like the, you know what I mean? So I love to do the shorts, but I also like to do long form storytelling. And and hopefully I'll get a chance to do that at Illumination as well. Matt awesome.
0: O'Callaghan, uh, thank you very much for talking with Squiggly today. Enjoy thank the rest you. of the
4: Thank you, I really appreciate it. Thanks,
1: Steve. That was Steve interviewing Matt O'Callaghan about his recent work reviving the Looney Tunes uh, ensemble. Good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, just one of the one of the many films playing at Annecy this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: good year for film, I think.
1: But not all the films can make it. Where do all those rejected films go, Steve? They all go in the bin. Uh-huh. As well they should. <laughs> if you haven't made the Annecy cut, you're just not good enough. But some films make it through to Annecy Plus, Mm -hmm.
0: or Annecy Plus, as uh, it is pronounced by one of the um, co founders, Bill Plimpton. It was set up a few years ago. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Annecy uh, Film Festival. It's a joint project between Bill Plimpton and animation writer Nancy Phelps. Mm -hmm. Basically, films that don't make it through Annecy, for whatever reason, get to be played in front of an audience, they get to be appreciated by an audience. Well, not all the films. Obviously, it'd be a very long program if it was yeah. all the films. But the films... It's, that, an, it's
1: an extra sort of program yeah. for, you know, to give people who, who perhaps should have gotten a shot a shot. Mm. you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's great watching these films uh, with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually in a pub garden. And they put up a sheet in, in the garden <laughs> and they just project <laughs> it onto the sheet. And everyone's drunk. And all the creators are there. And then there's a competition to see who wins. There's Fair. live music. So basically, films that don't quite make the strict Annecy programming guidelines might appeal to Bill Plimpton or Nancy, because it's, it's split in two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Including
1: would, some of Bill Plimpton's own
0: work. I think that's kind of how we started it, really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it, it started off when Guard Dog wasn't allowed into Annecy, and Guard Dog went on to um, get nominated for an Oscar, didn't yeah. it? I think it's generally
1: you know, considered
0: one of his best films. Yeah, know, yeah, it's, it is. and last year, Morris Lessmore... ...wasn't selected, It went on to win the Oscar. Right. You know, this is... This is but it did make it into Annecy Plus. It made it into Annecy Plus, along mm-hmm. with another film, didn't it, Ben? And what film would that be? A film called The Naughty List by a um, uh, certain Mr. Ben
1: Mitchell. Oh, well, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that's a lovely little uh, 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 perk. I think it's pretty obvious at this point that I'm a big Bill Plimpton advocate. So, you know, to, to be part of that side of the Annecy universe... Is, is pretty pretty nifty and very humbling and very gratifying but unfortunately I didn't get the memo so I wasn't able to go but um, I'll continue I'm sure to be rejected from Annecy in the future and I'll, I'll continue to send films his way in case I get to be included again I do get the impression that it would be very much my vibe the whole Annecy Plus yes.
0: thing, you know the vibe is very entertaining the films are there to entertain you now they're not really well, there's some fantastically well crafted arty films that go up there. Mm-hmm. But when you've got Bill Plimpton picking them, you know it's gonna be a riot, it's gonna be a laugh, it's gonna be exactly what uh, Bill puts forward in his films. Yeah. All the fun of um, of animation is is portrayed on screen. I would say it's probably a cross between Spike and Mike. Uh-huh. So take away the sort of the more horrific vulgar Spike and Mike stuff. Right, right. And the sort of legitimacy of, of Annecy mixed together. It's to form a beautiful package of entertaining films. It is more Excellent. my sort of my sort of thing. I enjoy the yeah. films. The made lots of the films made me laugh.
1: So there's a competition within Annecy Plus as well. Then
0: yes, yeah. There's uh, with donated prizes and things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the winners get to walk away with DVDs and, and uh, signed Bill Plimpton books and things like that. And so it's uh, pretty good haul. Yeah, overall. yeah, absolutely. So what were some of your favourites of that uh, of that lineup? Well, my, my particular favourite, uh, we all had to vote to see who your favourite was. Mine won. I'm glad I had the same opinion as everyone else. Uh-huh. It's
1: a- nice to belong, isn't it? It's lovely to belong. <laughs> but yeah, The, the Itch by uh, Patrick uh, Schumacher. Aye. I haven't seen this, but I've seen stills. It's a nice design style.
0: Very nice design style. Very nice animation, and uh, right. yeah, it's a good film altogether. But there were some fantastic films in there, which you can see on online. Yeah, uh, I think I've seen a couple of these. Yeah, actually, have uh, cool. you seen? The, you've seen the story from uh, North America, though, haven't you?
1: Yeah, that one I really liked because I actually I was sort of on the fence for the first minute because it begins. With this style. You know, every frame is a different piece of paper, kind of pen art style. Yeah. And that's something that has been happening a lot with sort of artsy films and student films of, like, purposefully bad draftsmanship to be kind of cutesy. And I was like, oh, God, another one of these. And then it starts, and it becomes really visually ingenious and creepy and crazy. It's by, uh, is it Kirsten... Kirsten Lepore and and sung by uh, Garrett Davis. Kirsten Lepore did a great film that was doing their own last year called, I think, Bottle. And it was like a love story. You couldn't imagine a more different film. And I love it when directors do that, when they they do a complete, you know. And I don't think it was contrived. I imagine it was probably just a sort of organic collaboration project that she came up with with this guy, Mm -hmm. you know. The song did great a little bit, but, you know, like without the, the visuals... Yeah, I, I you know I'd, I'd probably turn it off quite quickly, but like it, it does work very well with with you know this this crazy unnecessarily like uh, d- uncomfortable at times like you know dancing nipples and uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I love all that anything that makes me mildly uneasy I kind of like you know yeah
0: very good film a good audience film very enjoyable for the audience to uh, to get behind that as well hmm. yeah so another one of the winners um, Murphy was here. Uh, it didn't win first prize first prize uh, went to the itch mm-hmm. but Murphy was here it was very good um, 2D very flat sort of great scenario asset based yeah yeah, but yeah asset based uh, fantastic animation chain
1: of events really mm-hmm. uh, fantastic little chain of events uh, great it kind of comes like you know th- th- pretty unexpectedly like things are sort of set up and then The payoff is is kind of I guess because you can pretty much do anything in animation. So it was kind of embracing that that a bit. The domino
0: effect animation, really cool to watch,
1: yeah. Yeah. Another
0: film that which was on before that was a film called Borderland. Uh About suicidal toll booth supervisor and his sort of various attempts to end his own life. That was a hoot. I really I really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed watching that one. Yeah, so so all in all, if anyone is going to to Annecy, look out for Annecy Plus. It's like a little secret, little underground club. Yeah. <laughs> try and find it and try and try and see. Were see. there any
1: other uh, Bill Plimpton shorts?
0: Well, yeah, summer bummer. Uh, I remember that from earlier on. Okay. In the yeah. Year, yeah. Um, when yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Clinton was on. Bill's timing. Bill Plimpton's timing. He's a master of timing. It was fantastic. Uh, you may have been able to see it coming a mile off.
1: Uh, but when it happens. But sometimes that's kind of glorious in yes. and of itself, you know.
0: Yeah, like, but when it happens, it's it's in the right frame to get the perfect laugh. To get the
1: response.
0: Yeah, he also showed Tiffany the Whale, which was more of a dialogue comedy.
1: Ah. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this.
0: Yeah when, a, yeah, when a blue whale wants to become a model,
1: she's mm. been
0: bullied by the skinny models.
1: And this is kind of. A, a, he mentions this in his book, he kind of wants to expand this and expand this incrementally and eventually make a movie which i could see him doing because he's made movies before mm. but i think he's doing it in more of a like a, a if, i'm pretty sure it's the same thing because i this thing had a whale in it so that's probably indicative if i remember right, the style is kind of like that kind of cow who wanted to be a hamburger like sharpie lines and and very basic colors
0: from what i remember i can't remember it being overly pencily i do remember it being sort of very
1: more sort of flat like very
0: very sort of purposeful
1: yeah, very yeah. bold lines
0: and, and things lots of white
1: not immediately what you'd associate with the the, the plimp tunes
0: yes yeah more yeah. more yeah more cow wanted to be a hamburger yeah yeah so some very uh, well put together films at the Annecy festival this year especially Annecy plus which is mm. uh, more along my lines
1: well maybe next year I'll be able to go maybe next year I'll have a film in Or <laughs> well, maybe not. You never know. It's every stranger things have happened. It's every
0: filmmaker's dream, isn't it? Getting into Annecy and uh. well, I
1: don't know if it's a dream so much as, as as it's um for some people, it's kind of like this barometer of professional success. Yeah. Yep. You know? And uh, I think because I'm I'm very much in the auteur filmmaker, um, supplementing my filmmaking career, such as it is, with you know freelance gigs and frog hopping and stuff like that. I'm a little more laissez-faire about that whole thing Mm -hmm. but it would be lovely because it sounds like a great big party you know and and that's what all these these good festivals are the Stuttgart ones and encounters over here and you know it's it's it is nice to have that excuse to meet new people and uh, um, and go somewhere new somewhere where you wouldn't otherwise you know find yourself so yeah Knockwood will all be going next year yeah one big happy squiggly family big
0: squiggly road trip
1: (laughs) oh So we come to the end of our very first squiggly special edition podcast, our Annecy special. Why not check out the website for the various supplemental articles and uh, features and coverage that we uh, did on the festival? Thanks very much to John Cars and Christina
0: Reed for taking part in the interview and also a big thanks to Matt O'Callaghan for his uh, participation
1: in this podcast as well. As always, this podcast was presented by myself, Ben Mitchell, and Mr. Steve Henderson. Music was produced by Wesley Allard,
0: and this podcast was edited and produced by Ben Mitchell. Oh, that's me again. You can catch me on Twitter at Mister Underscore S Underscore Henderson, and you can catch me on Twitter at Ben L Mitchell. I have to do the underscores, otherwise it's Mrs Henderson. Uh huh. And that's my mother. Good to clarify.
1: Mm-hmm. So until the next proper squiggly podcast, au revoir. Yes, with that.